0: hello and welcome to one-on-one on One. my name is steven sloan and i just opened a fine cask of dornish red and joining me live from the nation's capital my very own brother mick how you doing bro bro
1: doing well it's uh it's a nice beautiful uh day down in the nation's capital uh mm-hmm. we celebrated our cherry blossom festival thingy where uh the flowers are in full bloom amongst the uh the monuments to our forefathers and, that's right uh, it's
0: one of the most popular times to be in the nation's capital
1: yeah it really is and uh there are tourists everywhere choking our uh, subway tunnels and clogging the essential arteries of our highways <laughs> and uh making my commute harder but that's okay
0: because uh tourists have feelings too well new york is on line too about that but yeah so uh let's jump right into it uh, what are we talking about this week bro, bro?
1: OK, so uh, we've basically been talking a lot lately about television, the, the great televisions of our time um, and how,
0: <laughs> you know, the LG, the Samsung, the 3D TV.
1: Yeah. And how as it's gotten easier than ever to watch television with the advent of stuff like Netflix and basically the fact that you can watch almost anything on your computer one way or another now. Um, and everything is available whenever you want it. We wanted to talk about sort of how TV has become so addictive lately. And in many ways, it's, it's been designed to be digested quickly. And we thought that there was no better way to sort of talk about the, the contrast between bingeable TV and TV that you're kind of supposed to wait for episode to episode than uh, by talking about Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones two of i would say the most i'd say they're the two most popular cable shows of the past 10 years would you agree with yeah that?
0: with with the exception of i think walking dead is in that conversation yeah um, that's right that's right but but yeah i i would say it's that sort of triumvirate that has been kind of really frankly kind of dominating american television for the better part of the last yeah what, six years seven years even longer
1: and and we're going to talk a little bit about walking dead not so much of the plot but i know i personally have some things to say about how that figures into this conversation and mm-hmm. the same is mm-hmm. true for house of cards which is really the first television show that was created to be watched in like in mass installments and so we're we're really going to get into that um i would say we're going to largely steer away from spoilers
0: uh, yeah, but there is always the possibility when we, we talk about stuff like that. Um yeah. I'm actually I'm a relatively new Game of Thrones watcher, so I don't I don't think I know enough to spoil for a lot of people, but um Yeah. Nick yeah. has watched all of Breaking Bad and so you never know what's gonna pop up. Yeah. Uh, just a quick little warning at the beginning if if you're really worried about spoilers for either of those two shows maybe think about not listening to this one
1: yeah and by the way like if if i'm going to drop a bombshell about breaking bad like i'll give you some time to to mute the line before before i drop that so i think it's worth getting right into it not to put you on the spot i kind of wanted to turn it over to you because you are the person in my life who has gotten into game of thrones the most recently (laughs) yeah and I was wondering what your take is as someone who wasn't that interested in it previously and now is kind of totally sucked into it to the mm-hmm. point where I think you sent me like 50 texts on Friday about it.
0: Yeah, uh, it was it was probably like 15, but it was way more than I usually text.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. And it also it's worth pointing out that you don't watch that much TV.
0: Like I've watched a season of Breaking Bad. I haven't watched any of The Walking Dead. And like I said, I haven't been participating in arguably the biggest American television event of the last three years until literally just now.
1: Yeah, exactly. So can you can you sort of try and wrap your head around why you like Game of Thrones so much and why you think it's so popular? Because it's not as if whenever a, uh, a dragons and kings and swords fantasy comes out people are drawn to it immediately i mean this is the first time that that type of genre is really connected since lord of the rings
0: yeah well that i think actually first as a little bit of a disclaimer uh i don't know that i would say that i was not interested in the show (laughs) i always joke that i have never watched game of thrones but i love watching how our culture watches game of thrones so i'm actually very familiar with just about everything that happens over the course of the show and and i've actually been fascinated by game of thrones for the reasons that you're talking about like because up until this point like lord of the rings was kind of an aberration usually this sort of like high fantasy literary medium that gets translated to the screen whether it's the silver screen or the uh the screen in your living room the tv screen yeah it's not something that has traditionally been a uh what should we say sort of growth area of american culture certainly well
1: there's there's definitely i mean to throw a callback reference to so, to a joke i made last week there's definitely not a bunch of suits sitting around a table in a studio saying we got to churn out those fantasy guys
0: yeah but what i do think it is indicative of and i don't want to get too far into this cuz i think this is a <laughs> this is a podcast topic in and of itself but i think what it demonstrates is that you know quote unquote being a nerd much more acceptable and almost to a certain extent preferred in um this day and age than it, it has been um some of that i think is to do with we're one of the first generations um probably not ours but the one preceding us was one of the first who was kind of told by their parents rather than like go out play a sport like we're worried that all you want to do is read books we're sort of the first generation that, that was told or they, they are that was told in sort of a broad way like don't worry once you get older like you are the kind of people who will succeed and i don't think that's a fair thing to say but i do think it was considered comforting for a parent to tell their kid and so now we're seeing that come to fruition in the sense that in in the wider american culture it's much more acceptable to like quote-unquote traditionally nerdy things like comic books like high fantasy and so you're really seeing that take a much larger footprint in american culture and i think game of thrones is maybe the quintessential example of that i mean people the the are the george r. r martin books have been cult classics forever um and i think it says a lot that it's almost gotten to the point where they're no longer just cult classics but they're very much in the modern american cultural lexicon um as for why I think the show is compelling, having seen, like, I don't know, four-fifths of the first season, um, it, it is one of the most, like, beautiful and truly lived-in um, worlds that I've seen, whether in movies or television. You know, the production values are obviously phenomenal, but the acting is uniformly solid. Um, the places feel like they've really been existed in, and I think a lot of that is to to martin's credit i think he he's an exceptional world builder and also i'm a nerd so like all of the sort of politics and machinations and like logistics of running these like massive kingdoms that they're dealing with in game of thrones i think is actually really fascinating so that's kind of why i'm into it hopefully that wasn't too rambling no,
1: no, I, I think actually what it kind of makes me think about is I think that while you make a good point to sort of the stigma of being into something kind of nerdy, quote unquote, as a high fantasy TV show, it's a really good point because I actually in preparation for this podcast, I looked back and read something that uh, Bill Simmons wrote about Game of Thrones. And he used the words to describe how he's always inv- avoided fantasy since the 80s, where, mm-hmm. as he put it, the Dungeons & Dragons players took it to yeah. a creepy place. And it's interesting that he used the word creepy, not like strange, not bizarre. Right, yeah. Like yeah. creepy in the terms of it kind of makes you feel weird inside seeing how into it people got. And so I think that that stigma has been lifted to yeah, extent. Yeah, I think
0: people who are kind of becoming adults in the 90s like i mean simmons still sort of belongs to that generation that was taught like this is how an american kid is and Mm -hmm. yeah so like nerdy things and getting really into these these sort of fantasies and and uh, role playing games and and all of these sort of nerdy things was still considered weird Uh, but that sort of generation in between him and ours was really the start of where you know there was much more of a sort of cultural plurality at play
1: yeah i have a couple of thoughts on this that actually i think tie into breaking bad as well which um Mm -hmm. my personal experience with breaking bad was that i actually didn't watch much of it at all until 2013 which was which was when the final season of it debuted
0: right so you were an average breaking bad watcher
1: (laughs) well well yeah except i actually didn't start watching it until literally the show had ended so, um, so I, I, I think it's interesting that uh, one thing about it was I had never binge
0: watched a show before. Mm-hmm. I remember we used to like mow through like Scrubs. We like we used to do it with DVDs, but like this was the first one we really you really streamed. I'd it was say. the
1: first time that I binge watched a show by myself. I should say not <laughs> not that I always mm-hmm. watched Breaking Bad alone, but I spent a lot of time. I watched a lot mm-hmm. of episodes by myself. I'm very social about the way that I watch movies and the way I watch TV. Part of what drew us to this podcast in the first place was that we're always talking about whatever we're watching or listening to or what's going on at the time. Um, But that was the so that was the first situation where I was saying, okay, even though I'm by myself right now, I'm just going to watch five episodes of Breaking Mm -hmm. Bad in one night and uh it's interesting to me because i i thought i was kind of immune to the whole addictive quality of breaking bad and of a show like game of thrones and breaking bad was the first time i really realized that i wasn't and that like everyone else i could get to the end of an episode and think oh my god i can't wait to see what happens Mm -hmm. next i need to know now um so i have a couple of things i have a couple of things that i think are worth Uh, putting forward about these shows and what they mean to people just in general i think that one of the enduring lessons of recent tv history is that there's kind of a disconnect between what we like and what people think we like and by people i mean the studios Mm -hmm. that make movies Mm -hmm. and tv in the sense that when something succeeds it's so it's so common to just replicate that formula immediately and as often as possible that's why when we saw for example once the avengers happened and the avengers avengers became this enormous hit in 2012 that just shattered box office records i don't think it's any coincidence that warner brothers got the ball rolling on uh making like a mm-hmm. justice league type thing, which we've now finally seen start to peak with Batman versus Superman, which came out last weekend.
0: Well, and even Marvel um, like really accelerated, it seemed their schedule for their own movies.
1: Yeah. But, uh, but I, I think that an enduring lesson of the, both of these shows is that while some people do want to see things that are familiar and that they've liked before, sometimes just making something that's flat out good And engaging and suspenseful is really all you need to do I mean if I were to explain the premise of Breaking Bad to you where a a 50 year old guy played by the dad from Malcolm in the Middle gets cancer and becomes a meth dealer it wouldn't necessarily be something you'd want to watch and I think that that's why right off the bat it wasn't that popular even though It was on AMC, which was a shared network of Mad Men, which was only the most critically acclaimed show on TV at the time. And I think eventually people just realized it was impossible to to deny how good this show was. And even though for people who aren't particularly interested in seeing shows about the pushing and the using of just a catastrophic drug like methamphetamine, there's no denying the fact that it's supremely well written and that Mm. it's supremely well acted. And, and I think Game of Thrones has that same situation. There's so many instances where it seems like when these high fantasy type of things fail, they fail quite spectacularly. There's like, I think, for example, to this movie called Season of the Witch <laughs> oh, that, with Nicolas Cage yeah. that came out a few years ago. And it was just this, this spectacular bomb. And that's because... That type of high fantasy show can't be made hastily as a cash. Well,
0: I mean, if you unless you want to count like old abandoned castles, like there is almost literally no extant infrastructure for these things in the way that say like a procedural there is like you have mountains and mountains of stock footage of cities. You like sound stages are relatively easy to build. But like when you're talking about, I mean, it's not actually historical, obviously, Um, because it exists in a different universe but in terms of its look it is a decidedly historical look and so with any high fantasy like you have to build from scratch an entire world so obviously it's going to be much more expensive than your average like spy movie yeah
1: and and it's just um it's so lovingly and devotedly Mm -hmm. made and you feel like the characters you feel like every character has this sort of richly textured backstory when you see two characters interact on screen for the first time uh, like i think for example of like the first time the king comes to visit the starks at winterfall i'm not great with i'm not great with terminology
0: yeah i think it's winterfell
1: but you can see like like i think the first The first interaction they have is, like, the king says something that seems like he's angry at Ned for something about the way that he's standing. Ned Ned
0: Stark, the patriarch of the Stark family. Yeah,
1: played by Sean Bean. And Ned Stark responds to the king with this kind of this joke about how, like, oh, I don't have to kneel before you. You're like an idiot. And then they both laugh. And it kind of establishes this familiarity between those two characters right off the bat.
0: It's a brilliant shorthand for like, oh, these two have known each other for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. And it shows you rather than tells you that.
1: Yeah, and so so I think the Game of Thrones, I think part of the appeal of that is you can really like sink very deeply into into this world because Mm -hmm. it's just so well made and so thoughtfully constructed that – there aren't the kind of little things that you might find in like a shoddily assembled fantasy that make you think or that take you out of the experience. Like there's not a situation Mm -hmm. of being like, well, wait, why hasn't anyone ever mentioned this thing before? How, how did these Mm -hmm. people know each other? Like, why does that person, like, why does he hold his sword like that or something like that? And I just, I think that that's the case in so many instances. We want things that are good not necessarily things that are easy to make and that don't take much creativity i actually
0: don't even know that it's that i think the thing is that studios don't give the public enough credit i don't even think that it's necessarily they want things that they can sort of assembly line cookie cutter create i think what their thought process is is oh game of thrones is really popular so people must really want like high fantasy shows and what they don't realize is that what the people actually like is not the premise but the skill and care and quality with which it's carried out and that's what really draws people to shows like like you were saying like like breaking bad sounds like an absolutely absurd premise and if it was not done with the clockwork precision that vince gilligan uh, gilligan and his team wrote it and created it with it would have been ridiculous and and what what people saw in that show was not that they wanted to see more of this premise they wanted to see more shows that were as well and intricately written and thought out
1: something that i think actually i just thought of this when you were talking about how viewers deserve more credit than previously studios were willing to give them
0: and i think to a certain extent currently still studios don't give audiences i
1: i think that the advent of the internet um and the and the wide um omnipresence of it is actually kind of an important piece of game of thrones and the way we digest it i think of a personal Mm -hmm. anecdote for example where i'm usually pretty good at distinguishing between characters and juggling like a large number of characters But when I watched Game of Thrones, the first couple episodes, I just could not, for the life of me, figure out which um, the actors who played Rob Stark and Jon Snow. I just, for the life of me, could never figure out who was who. And there would even be scenes where they would talk to each other and I didn't know who was who. And the way that I eventually snapped out of it, was I pulled up a picture of one and I pulled up a picture of the other and <laughs> I like looked at both of them on screen, looked at both of them on my computer and was like, okay, I get it now. It's the kind of thing where if you're digging through like a season of Game of Thrones and you've been going through it so quickly, you don't really have time to process everything. You can be like, wait, when they reference this thing, what do they mean? And you can go back to something that happened in an early episode by just pulling up a Wikipedia article. See,
0: it's funny because I th- I actually thought you were going in a different direction, but one that I think is also very important uh, in the internet's role. Yeah. This show. Do tell. The thing I think, besides like the generally sort of pseudo medieval kind of swords and spellsy atmosphere that pervades high fantasy, mm-hmm. um, I think the thing that really sets it apart is the sort of the lore and the world building that goes on you know high fantasy tends to be much more intricately explained and things that even like quote unquote don't matter to the story are much more kind of carefully laid out there's things about like there are whole books that exist in high fantasy novels that are like readable and are important but like don't matter to the story at all yeah and i think what the internet has done uh is that it allows a, a sort of uninitiated person who's just kinda coming into Game of Thrones without having read a song of Ice and Fire and they can just like wiki, okay, who's this guy? Oh, okay, now who's his dad? Right. Okay, now how is this guy important? And like because you have that repository of knowledge that's so easily accessible, in a weird sort of way, it's it's just as the show is not as complicated obviously at all as the the books are. But the show is much more uh it requires much more intellectual investment from the audience just to sort of keep things together Mm. (laughs) because there are so many characters and the histories are so rich and also often implied but i don't think it's as intimidating because it's easy to rather than having to like read the books and be like oh okay martin references this on page 50 of the second book of a song of ice and fire instead they can be like oh uh joffrey baratheon who's that you can go on a wikipedia and learn everything you could possibly need to know about that character yeah. and i think that really does help people connect to the world and get invested in the world because it once you understand how it works it feels more real and therefore more immersive
1: so that's that's one aspect of it and so and i think that that's a great mm-hmm. point and i think that game of thrones is really a very distinctly internet age show not to say that it couldn't have succeeded in an earlier time although i to be honest i don't i, I, don't, don't, know. I don't know if it would have for Cyrus. i i don't think that it would have been possible for a tv series to have the kind of production values that game of thrones has
0: yeah certainly i, not. I mean
1: I, I don't i don't know what the operating budget for the pilot was but it certainly is pretty strikingly immersive
0: it's probably significantly um, higher than most tv pilots
1: yeah an- another thing that i kind of and this kind of ties into the state of tv dramas and tv right now is um we're very well into a point where we are kind of happy watching people do bad things on tv <laughs> by bad i mean most specifically things that are maybe inherently selfish or they go against the sort of things that we're conditioned to do mm-hmm. I think there's no better example of that than Breaking Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um but I think Game of Thrones is a similar thing too. There's kind of something interesting about watching these Game of Thrones people make these selfish decisions and just decide they're going to like stab someone with a sword cuz they, you know, basically just because they feel like off. it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they don't think about sort of the social implications or the fallout or. They just do it because they want to. I'm
1: wondering why do you think that that has happened. I mean, I I can sort of trace to like the genesis of Mm -hmm. that. Like one of the earliest instances some people have said is uh, Seinfeld. Because Seinfeld acquainted people with rooting for people who weren't necessarily possessing of values that were inherently good. I think that The Sopranos was pretty important in the sense that it kind of showed prestige cable networks that building a show around someone who did terrible things could be successful and could be critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering if you'd given any thought to why that's the case and why we're so comfortable with that now. And to the point where I think if someone, if a character always does the right thing, it can be kind of boring.
0: It, it, certainly to that extent. I think we don't delude ourselves that pure goodness exists in the world and so i think when mm. we see a character who's pure good it feels like a lie a- and so therefore you don't like it because you feel like you're being lied to or it feels disingenuous i think that the reason why we've accepted or even to a certain extent enjoyed the kind of sadisticness of a show certainly like game of thrones less so i think with breaking bad but even with breaking bad to a certain extent hey,
1: i don't know honestly there, there's some things on breaking bad that Um, I mean, I think of like Gustavo Fring Mm -hmm. did some pretty terrible things. And yet there was kind of I definitely while I wouldn't necessarily say I rooted for him, I definitely wanted him to stay on the show.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the reason why we're we enjoy that more um, is because and not to get too like deep and or dark with this, but uh, there is that sort of morbid curiosity, you know people we are we're morbidly curious it's why we bottle a rubberneck at car crashes it's why we get so interested in in all these like horrible like serial killers and things like that it's because we there's some aspect of our biology that makes us interested in death but I also think that like to a certain extent as society kind of evolves and violence and selfishness and negative things sort of remove themselves from society. You know, you think about how, like, sports have gotten significantly safer uh, <laughs> and things like that. Except for football. I think, you know, to a certain extent, people need an outlet for their baser instincts. Um, and I think to a certain extent, like, TV kind of watching Game of Thrones and enjoying, like, the carnage that can happen sometimes is a way of kind of – it's almost like how, um, how running uh, as an exercise developed after humans outgrew the need to run mm. from things. Yeah. It's sort of like exercising that muscle and an opportunity to sort of use that – yeah, that sort of like dark side of us, for lack of a better word, and kind of just stretch that muscle out to a certain extent, if that well, makes and, sense. And
1: actually, I think, that, um, I think that Game of Thrones is kind of the perfect – if that is indeed a psychological need that people need to fulfill. And um, I, cer- I yeah, certainly... Yeah, there's, there's no basis well, no, for that. I,
0: <laughs> like, just to be clear, like, I don't have any real, like, proof of that. just seems anecdotally, it wouldn't surprise me if that was part well, of the no, and,
1: and I certainly think it is part of the PA appeal, because I think that that's a large part of the appeal of The Walking Dead, for example. But I, I think mm-hmm. Game of Thrones mm-hmm. in some way is the perfect show for getting that type of guilty pleasure type outlet because there aren't the same code of laws and societal norms in their world that would orient us you can see someone do a terrible thing in game of thrones like for example just like kill someone in the streets because they dishonored them and you watch that and Mm -hmm. you're just like well, you know, that's just what they do in this world, like.
0: Yeah, it's more abstract. Yeah, a
1: situation, yeah. I think a situation with Breaking Bad I think kind of connects to a much more psychological uh, or an even deeper psychological draw, which is the sense that I think that in our lives we all do things that are wrong. And I think that in our lives we all find ourselves in a situation where we make one mistake And then it's gradually compounded by trying to either rationalize or defend or hide the nature of that first mistake. And I think that we want to be given sympathy and understanding. I know in situations where I've done something where I've hurt someone, my first instance, if it's someone I care about in particular is to say, well, no, listen, like I know that this hurt, but that's not why I did it. I did it because I needed to do this and I needed to do that. And I think that a certain degree of why people sympathize with Walt, it's a combination of that thing you mentioned, that psychological outlet for those type of urges where when Walt does something like he sees someone who is just such a jerk to everyone he sees pull up in a gas station. He just happens to be at the same gas station with this guy with this fancy convertible. And Walt, while the guy is in the convenience store, like throws a match at his car and makes the guy's car blow up and no one gets hurt Mm -hmm. but it's like it's the kind of thing that i think a lot of people could identify with having like a situation where just in an impulsive moment they thought man like i would just love it if like that guy's car got keyed
0: well i mean it's this is a silly example but like if you go back to i think it's the carrie underwood song before he cheats yeah yeah it's a Carrie underwood song. it's it's basically the television version of that like everybody I, i'm convinced that to a certain extent why people love that song is because everybody's imagined doing that to it to an ex that has made the angry and, and
1: by the way like i yeah. i think it's i think it's worth noting um and then i'll get back to the original point i was making mm-hmm. but when you bring up that Carrie underwood song i think it's a perfect example because when i worked at a bar summer after junior year in college we had karaoke night on every Sunday and somehow I ended up working almost every Sunday that summer. So I saw goodness knows how many times of karaoke and there were certain songs that always kept reappearing every single time. And (laughs) one of them was, uh, that Carrie Underwood song. And so, and I, yeah. And I think it's just like, I know that I can't do this, but it's kind of fun to think about it happening, or in the case of Breaking Bad, to see it
0: happen. Well, yeah, I think television, it can be so much more immediate because you literally do see it happen, even if it's not happening in reality.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so when people watch Walter White do stuff like blowing up some guy's car because he's just such an inexcusable jerk, or when kids bully his son at like a clothing store, he just pushes them over it's a combination of it's kind of cool to see someone do that and to see what it would be like and to get that vicarious thrill and also a situation where you see it doesn't make you a bad person for wanting to do that because there's so many ways watching breaking bad where you sort of trick yourself in your head into thinking well sure walt just did that bad thing but he had to do that bad thing mm-hmm. because of such and such what's amazing about breaking bad and I think what makes it such an incredible, um, what makes it such an incredible TV show, and really just a piece of fiction, is that, and spoiler alert for about thirty seconds, uh, when Walt eventually gets to the point where he actually kills people to protect his meth empire, even when he does things like that, you can say in your head, "Well, yeah, he just killed that guy." But he had to do that because that guy was trying to kill him. And that guy was trying to kill him because he was he had to expand his meth business to get more money for his family. So it's a situation where you can sort of in your head rationalize these things. Well,
0: yeah, I remember you said that to me that one of the remarkable things about Breaking Bad is that even by the end when he's this like horrible drug lord, like you still root for him because... It, it was such an incremental decline that, like, you almost didn't notice how bad he'd gotten until he was so far gone. The
1: tipping point for me personally where I thought, okay, he's too far gone, was so much further than it probably would have been if I had just put on, like, a certain episode where he does something bad in a vacuum. I think it's kind of interesting to see someone who you kind of still trick yourself into thinking is a good person, do bad things because it makes you think it's okay for me to occasionally want to do bad things. Cause look at this guy doing this bad thing. So I think on one hand it's that. Mm-hmm. And I think on the other hand, it's that I think that we kind of have this need to believe that if we do something wrong, even if it's something egregious, I mean, not for example, committing a felony, but <laughs> if it's if it's something yeah, yeah. that would shock your loved ones that you could say well no see i did it for this reason and i know it went too far and then eventually the people despite what you did will say well you shouldn't have done it but i understand and i still love you such and such and i, I and i think that there is a certain psychological comfort from seeing that play out
0: yeah i think the appeals of breaking bad and game of thrones are actually very different for that reason because i think the reason why putting aside the fact that they're both well to exceptionally written and produced well and all that like ignoring all of those things i think there's something about breaking bad watching this very normal person Mm -hmm. descend into this thing and (laughs) you know it's it feels kind of flippant to say this but like you look and you're like okay okay, i've done some bad stuff but i'm not that bad (laughs) and i do think there's a comfort in that like watching a normal person fall that far and, like, feeling a little bit better about the fact that, like, oh, yeah, bad stuff yeah. like that's happened to me and I haven't, like, turned into a meth yeah, lord. Exactly. And I, I do, like, I do think that there's a there's a certain appeal to that. But then also I think it does, it kind of reassures you that, like, yeah, you know, people do bad things. Yeah. And it's n- it doesn't make you a bad person for doing that bad thing so long as you atone for it. You know, to a point, obviously, again, like ignoring committing felonies. and Yeah, like exactly. Wh- this but like or also like wanting to to take revenge on people for like being a jerk or like being mean to your kid or your friends. Like it's reassuring to watch a very human yeah. character like Walter White at the beginning playing out those same fantasies that everybody's Yeah. Yeah. Out. And it's like and again, we're talking about minor things. I mean, it's worth yeah. knowing that the
1: one on one one on one podcast is decidedly anti felonies and misdemeanors.
0: But yeah, we're good up to like but, Grand Theft Auto. I'm, and once you get into like that level of felony, we're probably <laughs> we don't condone. But I, I,
1: I, I'm I, talking about something like, I don't know, say someone cuts in front of you at Starbucks and like you say that was my spot or I'm sorry, I was in line. And they sort of say mm-hmm. they like shrug you off or maybe they even say something rude to you. Maybe when you get their coffee, when they get their coffee, you just think to yourself, I would just love to like slap that coffee out of their hand.
0: And just yeah, like and yeah. just
1: like ruin their like ruin their like coffee trip trip the way they ruined mine.
0: Ruin their stupid yeah. fancy suit with
1: their like think they're yeah. better than me. I, no, yeah,
0: it's it's everybody falls into that trap. I think
1: another interesting psychological thing that both the shows tap into, and I think that this is actually a great opportunity to pull some of the other notable TV um, phenomenons into this. Is I think that we so we so value the ideas of freedom and individualism mm-hmm. that so often we love to see people saying, "Well, screw the protocol, or screw the established order, or screw this red tape. I'm gonna do what I think is the right thing to do. Never mind the mm-hmm. fact that there's no particular reason to think it's actually good. Um, right. I, I mean, a great a great example like. And this is this is like a mini game of thrones spoiler but we we were just talking about the situation where the starks which is sean bean aka boromir's character his family get in a fight with or are in like a conflict with the lannisters which you would probably know as peter dinklage's family mm. or the and, worst
0: character in the history of television yeah. joffrey's family
1: yeah and, and sean bean ned stark is literally king for a day basically just because the real king is out hunting and he uses that to go on a power trip against the lannisters because they're really just they're they're ticking him off and he says you know you're like the patriarch of this family is now like a traitor to the crown unless he comes to like answer for the crimes of his family or something, and you watch that and the first thing you think is oh man what a badass like he's just saying i know that like i know that i'm not supposed to do this but i don't care because i'm like because i'm gonna fight for what i believe in and then it takes about two seconds before you realize wait that's a terrible
0: idea yeah it reminds me again because it always goes back to the election it Um, always
1: does somehow it's because it's literally it's
0: literally seeped into our brain yeah that's right it's been it's become so um omnipresent that it's just everything but no but it's very similar to why i think um i'm gonna leave out the guy i was going to reference because i'm tired of talking about him but even you go down to people like ted cruz who talk about how they're going to like carpet bomb the bad parts of the middle east to oblivion right and, and deep yeah. down I think even the people who love that sort of red meaty statement I,
1: I think honestly if I if I may jump in yeah. I think a better example might be Bernie Sanders who's so appealing to so many people in part because he's saying I know that everyone thinks that this can't be done but not only can it be done I will do it if you vote for me
0: except I, I don't necessarily think because like the point I'm trying to make is there are a lot of people who believe that like oh if only we could get past all of the sort of quote unquote PC reasons why we can't be honest about what's going on in the middle east we would be able to get this done right and that's sort of like the situation again minor spoilers for game of thrones for like 10 seconds when when ned does that and sort of calls out the lannisters he's doing it in direct opposition to what is the sort of smart thing to do and what everybody's sort of telling him he shouldn't do because of not because it's not people don't want to see them punished or that not because people have convinced themselves that what they're doing is right but because of all of the sort of like you were talking about red tape and diplomatic issues that come with with doing that and i think a lot of people think that foreign policy and specifically the war on terror would be much more simplistic if we weren't sort of tiptoeing around all these things which obviously is fundamentally misunderstanding how complex the situation is ignoring all the sort of xenophobic elements that are in there but it,
1: but it's definitely i think that there's an aspect of wish fulfillment to it exactly I think part of why we like to see people saying let's just circumvent all of this bs and we'll get things done mm-hmm. i think it's because people for example it's comforting for people to believe once we stop like worrying about offending people we're going to crush isis i think that that's comforting to people and so i think that the reason people like that type of plan and that type of rhetoric is because it appeals to this very visceral want for the solutions to even our most dire
0: problems to be easy i don't even know about easy i just think attainable i think that attainable yeah because i think that's a lot of the the frustration with washington too like people think that if we eliminated all this bureaucracy in washington magically it would start like doing things correctly uh because and, uh, and it's not that simple he, hey
1: hey uh, uh steve yeah. steve steve um can you tell me is there possible let's say that i wanted to watch a show mm-hmm. Where there's a guy who basically says, "I'm not playing politics the way that everyone else does. I'm gonna do whatever it takes and get stuff done." Would that be is there, say a a Netflix
0: show? Yeah, would would uh, the guy would Kaiser's? Oh shoot! Listen, if people don't know that, Kevin yeah, that, face that, is that's Kaiser, right. So that movie came that movie came out twenty one yeah. years ago. Uh, would it be the one that is headlined by Kaiser Soze and uh, Robin Roy. House of Cards? I mean, it really is kind of a political power fantasy. I think that's part of why people love it so much. Re- Scandal to a certain extent, too.
1: That, that really what I think Game of Thrones is an interesting like predecessor to it. It's almost like someone saw Game of Thrones and was just like, what if someone just like charged through all the red <laughs> tape in Washington?
0: Well, yeah, because what's ironic about Game of Thrones is it's actually like the lesson from Game of Thrones, and if you watch it for any extended period of time, you understand this, is that that's the opposite of what you should do like bucking the rules is the opposite you get punished for bucking the rules even if it's not necessarily always morally right
1: yeah well exactly and the thing is like the great quote is you win or you die Mm -hmm. there's a chance that if you buck the rules you'll get the glory but there's a much greater chance that you'll fail and furthermore if you fail that's it yeah like
0: you you literally you die
1: (laughs) i mean if you if you talk about house of cards it's kind of those types of stakes for the people in that because spoiler alert president kevin spacey kills all kinds mm-hmm. of people in that show yeah. yeah and and yet you for some reason like you root for him i'm i'm gonna confess and say that i personally never really bought the whole house of cards thing <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: but i but i think that that's honestly for the same reason that i don't think that i appreciate breaking bad and game of thrones really for any of those types of psychological things that we that we just discussed well,
0: yeah i would not describe either of us as particularly anti-authoritarian
1: <laughs> yeah well well, it's just i don't like the idea of bucking the rules and doing things regardless of what the worst consequences could be mostly because i'm not a particularly risk-loving person to borrow from our economics mm-hmm. friends but i think that doesn't change the fact that in a lot of cases there are And that everyone is in a situation, whether it's something they're doing in school, whether it's a project they're working on at work, where they think, man, this could be so much easier if everyone stopped getting wrapped up in these little minutia and did my plan. And so so I think when... I think that when people watch someone like Walter White breaking free from the sort of his fate of being a suburban, mild-mannered dad who dies of cancer, and when they see the people on Game of Thrones like literally killing to fight for what they believe in, and when they see the House of Cards people, I don't know, doing the dirty politicking that I imagine they do on that show, because to be honest, I haven't seen much Mm -hmm. of it. I think that people are watching that with all of the baggage of everything that they've done, where they've felt slighted, either by someone who didn't appreciate them, or by someone who didn't take their ideas because there were
0: too many, there were too many reasons
1: why it couldn't work, as opposed to focusing on why it could.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, I think game or uh, um House of Cards. Game of Cards. Yeah. Game of Cards. House of House Thrones. of Cards is a little more complicated because I think. Part of why people like House of Cards so much is it reinforces their negative view of Washington. You know, it, it feeds on the public perception that that Washington is filled with these slime ball, dirty dealing politicians. And so people yeah. enjoy kind of being because people, you know, all of us, M- M- Mick and I included, like to be right. We just do. And so we like yeah. a show that one of the reasons why House of Cards is so popular is because it's basically, what is it, 12 episodes a year? Telling you, yeah, you're right. Washington is a cesspool of just horrible people backstabbing one another.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's kind of fun to watch for people in sort of a soap opera quality. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that that type of perception of Washington really is kind of corrosive. I mean, as someone who, who grew up for their entire life, other than the four years I was in college here, like literally... Five minutes outside Mm of
0: dc and our dad worked for the government works for the government
1: he still works for the government um it's it's like it is kind of tough for me to turn on the tv and see someone being like the fat cats in washington who only care about like keeping the average people down when the reality is there are a lot of hard-working conscientious driven responsible people in Mm -hmm. dc
0: and for the record in the legislature yeah yeah that too you know there it's not like they are this sort of festering wound on an otherwise good city like there are a lot of good congressmen and senators i went
1: on a long run through washington dc on saturday and at one point i was like running full speed on the national mall right past the washington monument and i thought about i this i'm trying to phrase this without making it seem too self-aggrandizing but i thought about how cool it would look to have like a training montage the way the type that was in like creed for example set in washington Mm, because there's mm -hmm. so much iconic scenery i mean i think that like for example i was thinking about how cool a shot it would be if you could see like maybe like a backlit shot of someone running And the Washington Monument is just massive next to them. Mm
0: -hmm. And then I
1: realized that type of thing, like a rocky type of underdog sports movie story, for example, could never be set
0: in D.C. Right, because nobody would believe that this person could come from nothing in, in this city that, you know, because it really does. Perception becomes reality. Yeah. And if you listen to, frankly, I mean, at this point everybody is singing the same tune that washington is this horribly corrupt place and don't get me wrong there's a lot of corruption in washington it's not that people are demonizing it unfairly but i think that if we treat it as if it's this horrible thing it becomes this horrible thing in our mind when really like you have to go at it from a place of love and say well yeah there are things that don't work but it's a system that's great and so we want to make the system better not tear it yeah. down and, and by the way
1: like i i, I don't want to sound like i'm saying this from like some high horse because yeah. yeah i was talking to a friend of mine at work today about how i don't really like new york i like to visit it but i couldn't ever in my life imagining living here and then i realized that perception or that opinion is in no small part based on the fact that i'm a boston sports fan new york is their enemy and when i think of new york i just think of a bunch of yankees fans walking around being like yeah we're the yankees like (laughs) and it's totally unfair and we do this all the time
0: before we move along i just want to say a really quick thing about what you were talking about with television becoming more addictive yeah because while i agree like netflix engineers their shows sure like that make you want to click next episode yeah but, like, I don't, I think people forget because we're so, like, streaming inundated and traditional television watching is kind of dying in a weird sort of way. People are kind of watching stuff whenever they want to yeah. and not really worrying about, like, with the exception of a show like Game of Thrones or Walking Dead, you know, oh, it comes on at X time on Sundays. Yeah. But, like, we forget, I think, sometimes that, like, TV is not like movies in the sense that a movie gets... Uh, an hour and a half to two and a half hours to tell you a full story, right? Right. Whereas TV, especially as TV has gotten more crowded and there have been more people and more interesting ideas, TV has had to maintain your interest over a week for the vast majority of its existence, which means it has to keep you thinking about that show for an entire week in order to stay alive, basically, and maintain viewership. So... I think this idea that TV has gotten more addictive is kind of overblown because I think what it really is, is that you realize when you can watch the next one, how much you want to watch the next. And one. And
1: I actually think a great example of this was True Detective and True Detective yeah. was an example of an incredibly suspenseful show that was worth watching in real time or that had to be watched in real time. And it made me think about the fact that, yeah, I mainlined Breaking Bad and watched five seasons in like two months. Mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't have enjoyed it if I had to wait a week between episodes, if nothing else, like particularly toward the, la- the like end of the series, I would have thought about breaking bad, like 60 times every day between episodes.
0: That's, I guess my point is that like, I would argue that you can go back as far as even maybe not to a show like Sup- the Sopranos. Cause that was a much more sort of yeah. ponderous uh, philosophical meandering kind of show you know there were there were moments that sort of drew you to the next episode but it was much more sort of methodical yeah but i mean you could go back to any number of serialized shows and i would be willing to bet that if you pulled 60 like an audience after whatever popular serial show ended on one week yeah I bet you seventy percent of the audience said we will give you the next episode right now. Would you watch it? Yeah. So I, I think it's not that TV's gotten more addictive. Yeah. It's that Netflix allows us to feed that our sort of insatiable desire to know what happens next. Yeah. In a much more easy way.
1: And the thing is, like, I definitely don't want to make any kind of blanket statement that all TV should be week to week or all TV should be streaming. Because I think that there is some instances where it's a lot of fun to be able to binge watch a show. You I mean, you get a group of friends together and you just tear through an entire series of something. Um, mm-hmm. But, But at the same time, there's something really fun of having an entire culture wondering about a show. One of the most remarkable examples that i can remember was actually the sopranos which was in the build-up to the season or the series finale which if this is a spoiler for you i don't i don't know what to tell you at this point but the big question was is tony soprano going to die or is he going to survive the series and so i think that that added to this great mythology of what the last moments of that series were Because it successfully identified and got the pulse of what everyone wanted to know, and it played with that in a very creative way. Mm -hmm. I mean, my favorite example of it is that I remember reading something in the Washington Post where the Washington Post had a contest where they literally asked people to write a synopsis of the final episode of The Sopranos and submit it. And it was really cool. And I asked my dad. our dad how he nah, wanted, he's not my dad <laughs> how he wanted the sopranos to end and even though my dad is one of the least anticipatory types of people ever like when i ask him who's going to win the super bowl even the day of he's like i don't know doesn't matter yeah when, as, as, as soon game. as he's he's very passionate about the sopranos and as soon as i asked him how he wanted it to end he launched into this very elaborate take on how he wanted it to be which isn't worth digging into because it's a little mm-hmm. too detailed.
0: If I can, uh, if I can jump onto this, yeah, I will come down on this whether we should stream. Because I've been thinking, we've been kind of kicking this idea around for a while, and so I've been thinking a lot about it. Mm-hmm. I think streaming should exist to allow people to catch up to things, mm-hmm. or or to like relive shows, like the things where I enjoy like binge watching a show with friends or with you or is when or i have myself. an emotional connection that's already been established right yeah. with that show and we sort of relive that but yeah. i think that by providing shows in a streaming capacity where you can sort of binge all the way through it
1: mm-hmm.
0: i think does a disservice to the medium i think what's so incredible about television and what has what drawn people to television it seems more than movies um from a creative perspective over the last few years is that it allows you to tell the story that has room to breathe. And you can, you know, you have to spend that week like thinking about what happened or talking with your friends about what happened. And so much of that nuance and richness is lost when you can just burn through eight hours of TV in a day. And so (laughs) I, I actually, I'm very sad because I don't, I don't think, I don't think this is a position that is coming back because I think that the bell has been rung when yeah. it comes to streaming TV. But I will be one of the people who will mourn traditional television watching, because I think it's an incredible, almost unique moment in, in uh, American culture creation. And it's sad that it's on its way out, because I think it has many more positives than streaming television.
1: Yeah, well, and, and here's the thing. I think actually what I would like to see is I would like to see an instance where whether to have everything come out at once or whether to have it come every week or every few days at least, I think that that can be the type of creative choice where someone has the autonomy to make that decision based on the type of art form it is. I don't think, for example, I don't think I enjoyed Breaking Bad any less by binge watching it, but I think that's purely because it's such a tightly drawn story Mm -hmm. that it's kind of, it's really enjoyable to watch one thing lead to another. But with a show like the best example i think of a show that kind of it's fun watching it um it's fun watching it week to week is the americans on fx which is one of my favorite shows ever Mm -hmm. and what's so cool about it is because it's a very slow burn in the sense that there can be episodes where enormous plot developments happen and then the next episode the trick of the episode can be you expect something huge to happen and actually nothing happens. And you have over all of it because The Americans is about two Soviet Union operatives who are deep cover as like an American suburbanite family in, ni- in the 1980s. And they, they're basically these two spies who play a married couple and who have two American children who have no idea that their parents are spies. And um, obviously, the huge guillotine hanging over everything is will they get caught? And it's fun, sort of. It, it adds to the drama of the show to be watching now. You can kind of see little by little the noose tightening around him, around them. But not in the sense that you think that, like, the next episode, the hammer's going to drop.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that you could make a case for it either way i think there's certain shows where it's a great service to have it played out a week at a time and i think that there's certain shows where it doesn't affect it and i would be excited if we reached a model where the studios let the creators uh, make that decision based on what type of show they want to make
0: yeah i guess it's for me my issue is not necessarily just because i agree i think there are some shows that don't necessarily need that time and in fact may benefit from you being able to sort of see the connections um as they go along in a sort of more expedited way but i do think what we've lost is and maybe this is just as somebody who (laughs) tends to think too much about stuff in general but i want to be able to like discuss with my friends week to week about like oh what did you think about this episode like where did they go like one of the reasons why i texted you so much about game of Thrones was not just because I was excited about watching the show finally, but because I knew you were like roughly in the same place in the season as I was, and that hasn't happened in a very long time. And I was excited by the chance of getting to share that watching experience with you. Yeah. And so, yeah, like I'm not even necessarily talking from a purely creative perspective, because, like I said, I agree, I think some shows don't need it. But I think from a, from a cultural perspective, I think the loss is great and is, to a certain extent, irreversible. And that's sort of what I'm sad for. Uh,
1: yeah, no, that that's a good point. I mean, honestly, I personally, I personally agree with you. I think that there's certain shows where it's a lot of fun to be able to go episode to episode. And it's really fun to spend long periods of time guessing about what's going to happen. And yeah, and I, I think that's something that was really fun about True Detective was because, I mean, in True Detective Season 1, you know, this isn't a spoiler, but there's a serial killer that these two cops are chasing and they do a really good job of laying these breadcrumbs that the killer could be one of the two cops. And yeah, so yeah. we spent a lot of, like I remember we watched them in a relatively quick period, but I think we stretched it out over like a week. So we had like a day to sort of marinate on each one mm-hmm. and it was summer. So we were spending a lot of time in the same place. Yeah. And, and we, uh, yeah,
0: we were convinced it was yeah. going to be one of them yeah and so yeah, we were just like yeah
1: like i remember at one point in episodes in after an episode i'd be like well i don't think it's gonna be i don't think it's marty and then the next episode we were just like whoa what if it's, it's totally Marty, yeah or what yeah. if it's rust or like yeah. yeah and so that type of thing is a lot of fun and that's something that i don't want to lose
0: mm-hmm. also
1: streaming wreaks havoc on our relationships both like relationship <laughs> relationships and our familial relationships. it's true it's true. I, yeah I had a conversation with someone recently who, um, uh, she and her boyfriend were watching a show together and her boyfriend skipped to the end and then, um, or like skipped ahead. And then eventually she was just like, let's watch this show. And he was just like, I don't want to watch it and it was because he couldn't fake the reactions right and this, yeah. is, this is actually something that i think that i've gotten kind of good at because um my uh, my mom sometimes wants me to watch certain things before her like she doesn't like to watch breaking bad because it's really violent and um she's more comfortable watching it if i can tell her exactly what to anticipate but so there, there's certain situations where she'll just turn to me and just be like, point blank, is such and such about to die? And I'll just be like, I don't remember, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And
0: it's a complicated dance yeah. that you have to do there, if you watch was, a show there was with somebody an else instance,
1: now. There was an instance where a character on the wire, she asked me if he was going to die, and I point blank said no and it ended up the character did die and but i think it lied. was a great moment of uh it was a great moment of distrust for mom and i <laughs> but, that, but that's it's true great, you that's can't a great win example like you when can't we're not win all watching shows at the same time it really it destroys relationships i mean mm-hmm. bill simmons who as you probably know by now is a great influence on this podcast yeah made a yeah. joke that he like he made it into like like infidelity metaphor with his wife where like when he was working on NBA countdown and traveling around the world he was just like you know I was just I was all alone in my hotel room I was lonely so I just (laughs) just went down to the hotel bar and picked up Breaking Bad like
0: yeah it does sometimes it does feel like that drastic
1: yeah, it, it does. It feels yeah. like a violation of trust. Like I'm, I'm sure that some people have literally dissolved like relationships over it. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, I, I think that we really, I think we really dug into this whole TV thing. Yeah, do you have yeah. Anything to add? Um, Any last thoughts?
0: I, I do. I'll make it quick because uh, this could be something that would balloon out. But I just want to say it really quickly because I know it's getting a little long. One thing that I think is very interesting about <laughs> all three. Uh, the sort of big three shows uh, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead and Game of Thrones uh, the one through line for all of them that I think is really interesting and I think very telling is that they're all ultima- ultimately about family whether that's family you make or family that you're born to and in each show like so much of the character's motivations are based on family ties whether it's yeah. Walt making meth so that he can provide for his family when he dies from cancer or like the starks trying to figure out whether they need to be loyal to their current family or the one they're going to marry into um and walking dead is about like a group of people who are traversing this horrible wasteland and all they have is each other
1: and actually a show and by the way shame on us for doing an entire tv podcast and not mentioning mad men yeah yeah but mad men is kind of a family too Yeah, the work family. All these people are in these insane situations where work kind of runs their lives and they become this totally screwed up family.
0: Yeah, and I do. I think it's meaningful that that's one of the only connectors between all four of those shows. I think people like to... family is very important to people. Um, And I think seeing that play out in their TV is is important, even if it doesn't always manifest itself positively or in the most obvious ways.
1: Yeah, and that's why people love the Fast and Furious movies. That's right, because we 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 don't got
0: friends. We got family. We all
1: just want to belong, whatever we deny or regret.
0: So, yeah, a little little bit bit of of a... A happy end to a podcast yeah. that got a little dark sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Before we go, though, uh, we want to <laughs> throw in, I promise, this is our last new segment before we start really going back to the ones we've already created. Uh, but we we thought the last sort of new thing for a while is a little something that we want to call Happy Anniversary, where we talk a little bit, commemorate something that, that uh, you know, has a year or... Plus anniversary uh this week you want to talk about what that is
1: yeah so um i wanted to wish a very happy one year anniversary to kendrick lamar who it wasn't it wasn't this date but it was i think i think march 25th was the original planned launch date for to pimp a butterfly and it ended up getting leaked a bit early but basically to pimp a butterfly is for my money, the best rap album of all time. I think and it's the best
0: w- album of last year, Taylor Swift.
1: Yeah, Taylor. And what I think is most important is it was really the key to pushing Kendrick Lamar to the forefront of not only of rap culture, but to become one of the sort of most well-known names in our mainstream culture. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's important that mm-hmm. It's part of why his performance at the Grammys was so resonant was because everyone kind of knew from listening to his music on to Pimple Butterfly that once he had that, uh, once he had that podium to speak from, he was going to make a real statement.
0: Yeah, um, for people who haven't listened to it yet, which, first of all, do that immediately. Yeah. Uh, but the the song that sort of has the most cultural impact is all right which um you may know either as the one that uh whose bet performance made fox news say that kendrick lamar hates cops and wants people to kill them which is obviously completely incorrect or the one that has become a sort of protest song for the black lives matter movement and it's it's hard to (laughs) it's hard to overstate how incredible it is that that kind of like organic adoption of that song as a protest song, like how how remarkable that is in this day and age. Like I it's I struggle to think of when that's happened in a sort of unassuming, completely organic way. Uh, and I think that speaks a lot to not only the quality of this album but the sort of social, um, and political resonance of this album in the year since it was released and yeah i just it's it's absolutely worth your time whether you're a fan of hip-hop or not the world has been better for the past year because this album exists in it
1: yeah and, and it's worth noting like there there's not a wasted there's not a wasted really a wasted phrase in the album mm-hmm. i think that you can really dig into every statement that's made um, I think that one of the songs, there's a song called "These Walls," which is kind of just like it's almost like a funky type of like jam. Yeah, but it also, as the song transitions, it sort of becomes this remarkable and scathing commentary about how gang violence can just obliterate a person's life just by affecting the people around them. And how no one is really totally safe from that type of violence, for example.
0: Yeah, when you're sort of living in it. Yeah.
1: And, there, and there's just, there's statements, there's statements like that sprinkled all over the album. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it includes Barack Obama's favorite song of 2015, which That's is coincidentally my favorite song of 2015, How Much a Dollar Cost, which you have to listen to and I would advise you to get the lyrics in front of you so you don't miss any of it because it's a very like detailed
0: story yeah shout out to rap.genius they they do the lord's work like just pull up the rap genius tab for how much a dollar costs and you can just follow the lyrics but then look at how like Intricately detailed and referenced to Kendrick's words are almost all the time
1: If you've ever liked a single rap song in your entire life You owe it to yourself to listen to this to this guy and to listen to this album because Mm -hmm. It really is he is as good as it gets in terms of making rap that is both extremely impressive lyrically and uh, technically And also making it in a way that he can make these incredibly complex issues so simple in just a very brief Mm. period of time. I just kind of wanted to honor it because I just thought it was an incredible album. It's given me a great amount, honestly, of joy because there's so many instances of it that are very celebratory as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just it just makes me feel so pleased to know that there are people like him making art like that and making statements like that and uh yeah so that that that's my pitch
0: yeah and so yeah happy anniversary to pimp butterfly
1: happy anniversary Kendal kumar can't wait for the next one
0: mm-hmm. or and you uh, could go and listen to uh oh shoot what is it called unmixed unmastered untitled unmastered. untitled unmastered yeah which are b-sides from to butterfly And yet they are better than like 80% of the rap albums that are going to come out this year. That's all we got for today. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed it. Follow us on Twitter at one on one pod. That's at numeral one on one pod. You can subscribe to us on either iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher. If you do subscribe on iTunes, please give us a rating, uh, write a review. We'd love to have your feedback and make this the best podcast that we possibly could. And, yeah, so if you don't have anything else to say, bro, bro, that's all we got. Thanks, Obama. And thanks, as always, for listening.